Welcome to King Street Church Podcast. We hope this message blesses you as much as it has blessed us. If you would like to sow into what God is doing here at King Street Church, head over to kingstreet.church. That's kingst.church. Thanks again for listening, and now on to the message. Do it, Lord. Hallelujah. Those I just said, that's my kind of announcements. When the announcement is, all of Keysville will be saved, and your legacies are going to, your generations are going to celebrate what the Lord has done here. That's my kind of announcement. Hey, uh, so um, I want to pray for the sick uh, this morning. I feel like there's... Uh, that it's, it's our responsibility not just to say the name of Jesus can, but the name of Jesus does. How many of you know that we are, that we are um, in humility enforcing the finished work of the cross because it is Jesus' greatest way to show his compassion? Not just with our words, but he loves, he loves to show up. He loves to show people his, his love by declaring what he's accomplished on our behalf. And so this is what I'd like for you to do. If you need healing in your body, I'd like for you to stand. Um, Mr. Jim, you can stand for Miss Berta, actually. Um, and if you want to, yeah, if you want to stand for somebody, I see there's like everybody gone, so you can stand for somebody. That's right. So we're just going to, would you just open your hearts and your hands to receive this morning? I'm just going to, with, uh, with simple faith, just release the word of healing over us and over, I, I'm thankful, God, for your word that says to us and our household, I'm thankful for your word that teaches that, um, that a family can, can go out and gather, that we can gather for manna for an entire family. So this morning, God, I release the word of healing over us, God, according to your word. I bring my, I, 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 in agreement, I bring my heart and my faith into agreement with your word that he himself has took our infirmities and bore our iniquities. That the same sacrifice, Jesus, that you, that you paid for our sin with on the cross also paid for us to be in good health for your glory and for your namesake. So would you show yourself mighty, God? Um, Holy Spirit, come and reveal the finished work of Jesus Christ in our bodies and in our minds and in our lives and in our families so that we may be a people set apart for your, for your kindness and for your glory as an emblem of the age to come, as a witness of the finished work of the cross, that it is not mere talk, that the kingdom of heaven is not in talk but in power. We release with our today, God, we, we receive by faith the blood of Jesus Christ and its fullness for not just what we can think, but for what you paid for. And we receive it today in Jesus' name. In Jesus' name, amen. 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 You can be seated. Hey, if you got your Bible, hey, Leah, how are you? Good, yeah. Act shy now, you wouldn't be sitting up there if you didn't want the attention. Come here, give me a hug. Oh, I love you, girl. This is the first baby ever born in King Street Church, right here. Wasn't it done? She had a hole in her heart, and Jesus healed it. We love you, Leah. That's right, you can clap for Leah.
Some of you like, she didn't do nothing, but that's how he always does it, isn't it? Hey, if you got your Bible, thanks, Dylan. Uh, John chapter number four. John chapter number four. I have been in six states in the last uh, week, um, and I will tell you, this is my favorite group of people on the planet to be with, so I'm glad to see all of you this morning. Well, the all of you that is here. So bless you this morning. It's good to see you. If you turn to John chapter number four, um, one of the funniest things that has ever happened to me happened to me yesterday. I was in a conference in West Virginia, and they had this uh, this guy. He was a speaker there, um, and uh, he was like this. Uh, he's a cowboy, right? And he had a he had a beard, and uh, apparently, according to some of the folks that were there, he had a similar build and tone to me that apparently uh, I mean it's just a beard I guess I don't know all of us might look the same I have no idea but so I there I was I you know I'm uh, so the guy is preaching and uh he preaches this message on Friday night and um and they were joking saying he could be my cousin or something he's a rural church pastor plants churches and um and Amanda said that, you know, the similarities were there. I, I didn't see it, but, you know, everybody else did. So after he gets done preaching, I, I'm walking back to go get some coffee. And some guy walks over to me, and he wraps his arm around me, and he said, Good word, brother. It gets better. He said, Good word, brother. I said, Oh, thanks, man, but it wasn't me. And he, without missing a beat, says, yeah, I know, but you let him use you. <laughs> and I said, no, it really wasn't me. He said, you're so humble. And I said, no, it was really that guy right there across the room, right there. It was him. It really wasn't me. And, uh, and that didn't get any better as the weekend went on, so... Uh, I just thought I'd share that with you. That was funny. If you got your Bible, you got John chapter number four. I'm thankful this morning for God reminding us of those words, all of Keysville being saved. And um, uh, I, I really, I really want to this morning try to continue to speak into. Um, I, I don't. It doesn't matter to me how many of us are necessarily here this morning. I think that it doesn't discourage me. I understand, and and I just want to say to us this morning. I have a ton of faith that what God has spoken is true. And I have a ton of faith that what God has spoken is true because I've never known him to tell a lie. I've got enough history with him to know that he doesn't just say things. But what he says, he has the power to bring to pass. So, so, um, so I want, I'm sorry, my wife looked in. She had a familiar look on her face, and I was like, whatever that is, I'm going to solve uh, Husbands know what I'm talking about. I believe he's able to bring his word to come to pass. So I just want to continue to speak into that. If you weren't here a couple of nights, uh, a couple of Sunday nights ago, I don't remember how many now, God started to speak to us, and uh, and it felt like it was confirmation. If you had been here and you had been listening and paying attention to what God had been doing, um, as He spoke to us about the fact that there would be out of this house a prayer and worship, that prayer and worship would be married in this house and it would produce 
power, a prophetic evangelism, a power evangelism, an evangelism by the Spirit that would come out of this place. And he went on to say that it would sweep all up and down the East Coast. And like I shared with you last week, I don't, I don't have any box to put that in. I just don't say no to what God says. So I say yes. I say yes to what God is saying over us. I say yes to a fresh assignment for us and a clarified vision from the Lord for what our assignment is in this season. I just want to, as much as I would like to preach some of the things that I believe that are powerful and purposeful for us to um, grow as a people in our understanding of God, what I'd like to do is I'd like to allow, I'd like to give you some keys this morning for us to walk into the place where God can speak to us as he desires to, to guide our lives in individually. We have longed to be a spirit-led people, not just a spirit-filled people, because, because honestly, a people who God has his way with and can move their life will accomplish all that he has desired. And honest, and my heart, and I know your heart is, I just want to glorify him. I just want to do, I just want to walk with him in a way that is faithful. And, and so I I want to speak to that some this morning from John chapter number four. I was thinking this week there's a number of things that have kind of been stirring in my spirit. Um, but God reminded me of this because the Friday before we came into that Sunday night service, we were in here in prayer on Friday uh, morning, and, um, and I started to just pray about God giving us a different direction, a different pace in the spirit, a that we wouldn't get caught doing the same things. How many of you know we can ca- get caught having the same service every Sunday, going the same tracks, playing the same songs, going in the same direction with the same rhythm if we're not careful, and we'll say that we're being faithful, and it is being faithful. We're faithful to show up, but that God, um, that God is not looking for a people who live a life of repetition, but a life of authenticity. A life of Authenticity. And so I was in here praying about that, and he said, uh, or I just began to pray this, we must need go through Samaria. We must need go through Samaria. And what I, was, what I was just responding to was this idea of God, let us learn different ways. Um, would you take us in different paths um, by, by your spirit? Would you, would you allow us to not, not get caught in repetition or get caught in familiarity, but you would, would you allow us as a people to go to places together um, in the way that we worship together? And in the, I'm trying to give this some language so it isn't weird, but you know what I'm talking about, right? In the way that we worship together, in the way that we pray together, and the things that we believe for, that all of this, that God would take us in a different direction. And I, I felt like I heard Holy Spirit say, we can go anywhere from here. And as I started to hear, as I heard that, I just started to pray into it. Because I think the right response to pray at that point is, then where do you want to go? I've learned, I've learned well enough that, that the reason why we've been given authority, the reason why we've been given, uh, the reason why we've been given power, the reason why we've been given these things is so we can give it back to him for his glory. And so my response is, when he says to me, what do you want to do? I say, whatever you want to do. It seems safe to me, Right? It keeps me in the place of his lordship and his leadership. I, I want to follow you. That's what I want to do. Wherever you are, that's where I want to be. It keeps a yielded place in my heart. Does anybody understand what I'm talking about? So I, I, I've learned I don't want to go my way. I, I've learned his way is better. 
And so I, that, that's where I, I, my heart was at the moment. So he, when he said to me, then I just started to pray, we must need go through Samaria. We must need, because I knew that it was a moment in Jesus' ministry where it was a different place for him to go. It wasn't the same track that he had gone to, and it had a different encounter that was behind it. God was reminding me of that this past weekend um, as I was thinking about and praying into this weekend. And I I want to say a couple of things at the outset, and then I'm going to exegete um, John chapter number four. Not that I haven't already said a couple of things. But I'm going to say a couple of more things at the outset. Number one is this. Um, I, th- I, believe that, uh, I believe that there are, I want to be careful how I say this. I'll, I'll just say it the way that I, the best way I can, and you'll just have to forgive me if I say it in a way that's offensive, Okay. I believe that there are churches that are producing three different types of believers. I'm not sure all the time which one we are doing, but I I know which one I endeavor to. I believe that there are churches that are producing consumers. Consumers, much of the church is marketed towards consumerism. So the idea is that the world is marketed towards uh, us being set, uh, us having our needs and our wants filled, and if the church can be in that market, then we will then we will draw the people who have needs, and then we can be the answer to their needs. We can be a better answer to their needs. The problem with that, uh, it's not necessarily even a problem. I think that's a dynamic of the church is that we love people and we love people well, but we're not. We're to, if we are consumers, then we will always only consume. And when we no longer feel like what we are consuming is what we want, we will be driven some other place to have our needs satisfied. If we're consumers, the other, the second group is producers. One of the one of the quickest ways that uh, that many people try to grow the church. Um, as if we could do so in and of ourselves, is to make a church of producers. And some of you probably by different personalities are maybe more prone to this, to be producers. So everything that we preach to you would be how, what you can do to make more for God. Well, God made everything. It's all his, right? But our minds can get warped into this place where we think that we are supposed to be consumers, what I want, it doesn't do anything for me. It's not happening. I don't feel it. I'm really not sure. I don't really want to go. I don't really think I want to be a part. That's not really what I want to do. That No, consumers, producers. I, I, if I can't give, I don't know what to do. I, I need to be doing something. I need to be working on something. I need to be making something happen. I need to make something on myself. I need to prove to God that I'm worthy of his love. Producers. And the third group of people are not consumers. They are not producers. They are lovers. My friend Randy Martinez used to say, lovers will produce more than producers every time. (laughs) Lovers are the people that we have been made to be if we broke down the corporation of the church and uh, all of what it wants to be and grow up to be in its insecurity, we would realize that we have been made 
to love God and be loved by God. Consumers are never satisfied. Producers are never satisfied. Lovers are always satisfied. I said a couple of weeks ago, and I want to reiterate, there is nothing more dangerous to the world than a believer who is filled. Did you hear me? There's nothing more dangerous to the world than a believer who is filled. One who is, one who is filled with the Spirit. One who has no lack and no need. One who can say the world has nothing left for me. There's nothing that I want. I have all that I need in Jesus. There's nothing more dangerous to the world than that believer. There's nothing more dangerous in the world than an unfulfilled believer. An empty believer, one who still has their uh, heart set on, on being unsatisfied, what happens is the Bible says it'll be seven times worse next time the temptation comes. Because your house can be clean and your house can be empty, but if the house is not filled then it'll be worse. So there's nothing more dangerous to the world than a filled believer. There's nothing more dangerous in the, I'm sorry, there's nothing more dangerous to the world than a, than a filled believer. There's nothing more dangerous in the world than an unfulfilled believer. And the only way to tell if you're full is two ways. If you're satisfied and if your cup's running over. I want to be a fulfilled people, a satisfied people, a people who our cup is running over. This is who he's made us to be. This is what Jesus has paid for. To this end, I want to speak to you this morning. If you have John chapter number four, I want to talk to us this morning from this place of, the, of, of, the, of what Jesus speaks to this woman at the well about this very thing, about come and drink. So it says in John chapter 4, starting in verse number 1, Therefore, when the Lord knew that the Pharisees had heard that disciples made and baptized more disciples than John, though Jesus himself did not baptize but his disciples, he left Judea and departed again to Galilee. But he needed to go through Samaria. So he came to a city of Samaria, which is called Sychar, near the plot of ground that Jacob gave to his son Joseph. This is an incredibly interesting place, though I don't want to take all of the time to do it, but you could go back and look. It's the exact place where the Dinah incident happened. So there's something that is being redeemed at this well right here. Um, it calls us back to Rebecca at the well coming to her, uh, being found to find her husband. It calls to a number of different things, but it's an important location for today. We won't focus on that. We're going to focus on the conversation with the woman. It says, now Jacob's well was there. Jesus, therefore, being wearied from his journey, sat thus by the well. It was about the sixth hour. This is maybe the most human that we are going to see Jesus in all of Scripture. John chapter number 4. He is hungry, tired, and thirsty, which are things that I did not know that Jesus could be. 
It is the most human that he is going to expose himself, the most of his humanity, his humility that we are going to see in all of the scripture is here in John chapter number four. It is the lowest, it is the place of the greatest humility and humanity that we are going to see Jesus in. And it's this place that he's going to have this conversation with this woman. A woman of Samaria came to draw water. Jesus said to her, give me a drink. Now you know this story, but I, I'm, I'm going to read it anyway. A woman of Samaria came to draw water. Jesus said to her, give me a drink. I don't think what, what's happening right here, just, just at the outset, let, let me just say this. I'm sure that we have all heard this passage and read this passage. I don't think that what Jesus is doing when he walks up to the woman I don't think that he is trying to, uh, you know, I don't want to read it in the language where it sounds like what he's doing is he's trying to, uh, though he has every right to, I don't think that he's trying to exercise his lordship over her. I think he sees her at the water and engages her with what she's already doing. I think he finds her at the water and says, hey, let me have a drink. I think he just finds her in what she's already doing. And I think this is incredibly important because I think that the way that we think about Jesus often and the way that he's going to engage us is that we think, and we think so legalistically that he's going to find us in church or if I can get to that meeting or if I can get to whatever. But in order for us to be an authentic people who are satisfied by God, who are lovers, not consumers, not producers, then we have to start to think that he is meeting us in the things that we're doing. He has conversations with us in the midst of our working, in the midst of our life, in the midst of our, of, of our disappointment, in the midst of our discouragement, in the midst of our, whatever it is, just as you're walking, he wants to talk about the things that, that you're in the middle of, that the things that you have going on. You know, Jesus can give you, he's Lord of all. He can give you instructions in how to turn a wrench. He can give you instructions in how to draw water. He can give you instructions. He'll meet you right where you are. Some of your greatest encounters will come when you realize that Jesus hasn't been relegated to a building, but that he's Lord of all. And that because he's Lord of all, that he has conversations, ideas, and wisdom about everything that exists inside of the planet because he created it all. So you don't have to get to your holy place and get yourself into your right frame of mind in order for him to speak to you. You just have to let him speak, be open to listening while you're doing what you're already doing. Because he ordered your steps. The Bible says the steps of a righteous man are ordered of God. So when you go to work, when you go to, when you're frustrated, when you're angry, when you're kicking the door, when you're kicking the cat, when you're kicking the kid, he's speaking. Y'all didn't like that? That was a joke. Don't kick the kids. Goodness gracious. All right. It's okay. He says, give, said to her, give me a drink. It'll get better from here. Don't worry. A woman of Samaria um, came to draw water. Jesus said to her, give me a drink. Give me a drink. For his disciples had gone away into the city to buy food. The way I imagine it is he just sees her there and says, hey, can I have something to drink too? Then the woman of Samaria said to him, how is it that you, being a Jew, ask a drink from me, a Samaritan woman? For Jews have no dealings with Samaritans. Now, this is the crux of everything that I'm going to try to endeavor to uh, give you the invitation from the Lord to this morning is this. The, the th 
here, here's, here's the crux of it. And, and I, this is the part that I don't understand. Okay? Jesus says to her, hey, can I have a drink? And she starts arguing with him about why he can't give her, why she can't give him a drink. It's just water. Give him a drink. Do you see how silly that is? Do you? All he said is come and pray for an hour. Just come and pray for an hour. All he said is just pray and worship. It's not that difficult. Here's the thing. Here's what we do. This is us right here. We have a theological argument why it's not necessary for us to respond to what Jesus is asking us to do. Isn't it? This is exactly what we do. He said, hey, come, come and pray. What I want to do is so significant that it's going to save an entire community and sweep up and down the East Coast. And we go, yeah, I don't think we really need to do that, do we? That's not even appropriate, is it, Jesus? And you go, man, all he said is pray. Just pray. I'm sorry. Did that, was that too low? Did you get it? Did you get, it's just a glass of water. Just give them a glass of water. Stop arguing. The most important thing that we need to learn to do and that we have got to grow to do, and we'll have to be authentic and humble enough to be able to do it is this. Just respond to him. Religion and, and our history and our hurt and our pain and our growing and our teaching and all of that, they can oftentimes get in the way of just respond to Jesus. The most important thing that we can do, the reason why we have to have, what, the reason why, it, it's, why we can't just walk out of the end of service and say, Jesus, I'll think about that, is because we are made to respond to Jesus. We were made by his word. We were made from his word. We were made from his dirt plus his word. We were made to respond to Jesus. As a matter of fact, we were so made for response that worship is, is our highest, the highest thing that we, uh, that we are a part of is worship. It is prophetic in the heavenlies because it announces the truth of who Jesus is. And the only thing that it requires of us is for us to see him for who he is and respond rightly. Do you know that when the Bible says that in the beginning God said that, um, it says in the beginning God said, let there be light. Did you know that, that what happened when God said, let there be light was that, that when sound left God's mouth and he said, let there be, and he said light, that sound left his mouth at, with such force and power and authority that it vibrated into the universe. And when it vibrated into the universe, when it vibrated fast enough, if, if sound vibrates fast enough, it becomes light. Did you know that? That's why things travel at the speed of sound and then at the speed of light. Why? Because the vibration is happening so fast that it becomes light. Do you know that when he spoke, he said that you, Jesus, is the light of the world, and you are now the light of the world. You know, you are a response. You're a word from God. We are made to respond to him. It's the only thing, actually, it's the reason why he says, come and follow me to his disciples. He doesn't say, let me give you a resume and come. He just says, if you'll just listen to what I say and follow me and respond to what I say, I've got more for you than you could ever even imagine for yourself. And it's actually more of yourself. It's not more than yourself. 
Come on, he's trying, if we would just respond to him, the one who knows us and knows who we are is trying to teach us how to, with our heart, respond. And the only thing we need to do is not argue, just say yes, learn how to respond. And this is what is, this is the only necessary element to get us from where we are to where God desires to take us is this. He'll lead, we just follow, we just have to be a responding people can't just leave out of this place. We have to teach our heart. We have to, we have to learn in our heart how to say, how to respond. How to respond. So an altar time isn't just for the people who are having a difficult time or for the people who are just have, who need healing or the people who had sinned this week. The, altar, the, the moment, the thing that we're made for, the only reason why I speak and in hopes that it will vibrate and become light and illuminate a path so that we can actually respond. But we must respond. We have to ask the Lord as, he, as the anointing of God comes on a, on a people, as the power of God, as the whispers of God, as just the instruction of God, as the truth of God. You'll be so, you can read the word every day, all of your life, but if you don't respond, if you don't respond, on being not just hearers of the word but be doers of the word how do we do the word we do the word by being the word how do we be the word we just respond like the word is a part of the same thing that we are made of and we just respond we just respond however we respond we just respond and when we don't know how to respond we just respond we have to find a way to say lord what how when where what do i do just i'm just here saying yes and i'm letting it go deep enough but i'm responding she asked he asked for a glass of water sometimes it's like that's all jesus is saying to us and all we have is arguments back it's so simple so simple. I just want you to go over there and talk to that person at the grocery store. Well, God, they're going to think this of me. They're going to think that of me. They're going to, you know, I really haven't been doing that great this week. It's just a glass of water. Yeah. <laughs> well, I want to, can you come for and pray? And, and we'd like to, and, and if you'll pray and you'll worship, these things will come together, then there'll be a move of the spirit. Well, God, I really, you know, I don't have that much time, and it's a lot of guests, and, it's a, and we don't even have to be argument, 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 argument. It's just a glass of water. Well, you know, the, so lift up your voice and, and cry out to the Lord. Lift up your voice, and I'll heal your nation. Lift up your voice. Make a sound. Make a joyful noise unto the Lord. And, well, God, you know, I'm really not feeling it, and the song isn't that great, and they were singing the things that I like. It's just a glass of water. Respond. Are you with me? Is this Okay. I'm going to try to get us to a place where we can understand that the response is an invitation into a beautiful, fulfilled life. A life of, under the leadership of Jesus where he leads us to places and, and heals things that, and he walks with us and we find our greatest satisfaction and fulfillment in him. He said, a woman of Samaria came to draw water. Jesus said to her, give me a drink. 
for his disciples had gone away into the city to buy food. Then the woman of Samaria said to him, how is it that you, being a Jew, ask a drink from me, a Samaritan woman? For Jews have no dealings with Samaritans. Jesus answered and said to her, if you knew the gift of God and who it is who says to you, give me a drink, you would have asked him and he would have given you living water. This is a law of the kingdom. Jesus doesn't ever ask us for anything except for he intends to give us a greater measure of the same thing that he asked us for. It's impossible for him not to do that. He, he does not lack anything. So when he starts a conversation with us about something, he is saying to us, come and let me in this place in your life. When he says, give me a drink, he's actually inviting her to a drink. When he says, come away and pray, he's saying, I want to answer your prayers. When he's saying, come and exalt me, he's saying, I want to bring you into the exalted place. When he says, come away into the word, he's saying, I want to add to you. When he says, he is speaking to us in a language because he is a God of peace. The Bible says he is the prince of peace. If you didn't know what peace is, it is the Hebrew word shalom. Shalom means not just that, it, that there's no war, and it doesn't just mean that we feel good. Shalom means that there is a blessing on everything. When it says the shalom of the city, it means everyone is joyful. Everyone is blessed. When, he t when they come to one another and they say, and they would pass each other, or when Paul releases a greeting in the beginning and he says, peace to you, he's not saying just, I hope that you're not having trouble, or I hope that it's well to you, or this is a good greeting. What he's saying is, I send to you that you and I would both have a mutual blessing in the Lord. Shalom. He is the prince of peace. He wants, both, he wants the kingdom to be established, and the kingdom is that there is blessing on everything. His interactions are blessing on everything. When he says, come give me, a, give me a drink, he is inviting us to be satisfied. Jesus answered and said to her, if you knew the gift of God, who it was who says to you, give me a drink, you would have asked him, and he would have given you living water. The woman said to him, sir, you have nothing to draw with and the well is deep. Where then do you get that living water? Are you greater than our father Jacob who gave us the well and drank, it, drank from it himself as well as his sons and his livestock? Jesus answered and said to her, whoever drinks of this water will thirst again. But whoever drinks of the water that I shall give him will never thirst but the water that I shall give him will become to in him a fountain of water springing up into everlasting life. The woman said to him, sir, give me this water that I may not thirst nor come here to draw. Only upsides there, right? Won't be thirsty anymore and I don't have to carry this heavy water pot. Glory to God. Give me this water, she says. That I may not thirst or come here to draw. Jesus said to her, go call your husband and come here. The woman answered and said, I have no husband. Jesus said to her, you have well said, I have no husband. For you have had five husbands. And the one whom you now have is not your husband. In that you spoke truly. The woman said to him, sir, I perceive that you are a prophet. Duh. <laughs> Duh. 
our fathers worshiped on this mountain, and you Jews say that in Jerusalem is the place where one ought to worship. Jesus said to her, woman, believe me, the hour is coming when you will neither on this mountain nor in Jerusalem worship the Father. You worship what you do not know. We know what we worship, for salvation is of the Jews. I would, you could go into Second Kings and see what he's talking about there when he says you worship what you do not know, but the Samaritans had built high places that says that though they feared the Lord, that they had established these high places to these idols. It says, we know what we worship, for salvation is of the Jews, but the hour is coming and now is. When the true worshipers will worship the Father in spirit and truth, for the Father is seeking such to worship him. The Father is seeking. You will, because the Father is seeking. God is spirit, and those who worship him must worship him in spirit and truth. The woman said to him, I know that Messiah is coming who is called Christ. When he comes, he will tell us all things. Jesus said to her, I who speak to you am he. And at this point, his disciples came and they marveled that he talked with a woman. Yet no one said, what do you seek or why are you talking with her? The woman then left her water pot. The woman then left her water pot went her way into the city and said to the men, come see a man who told me all things that I ever did. Could this be the Christ? I think he answered that question, didn't he? A couple of things just before I, I'm, I'm going to be brief as I can. I want to go through what she says because it looks like she's having a theological argument, but I don't think she's having a theological argument. I think her heart is being unveiled one piece at a time. Because she's responding. She's not even responding well. She's just responding authentically. And I think that that's what's necessary is for us to respond to God authentically. For us to say to him what the psalmist wasn't afraid to say and what the disciples weren't afraid to say. To say what we are actually thinking and feeling and seeing and believing and our opposition and what's going on so that we can be Lovers and being loved so that we can be in our identity as his sons and daughters so that we will live and do live in the place that actually is, which is not the separation between our holy moments and our honest moments and our worst moments, but that God is in all of those moments and he is aware of all of those moments. And he makes use of all of those moments for those who will just be with him. And let him make you all he has made you to be. One of the things that I would like to point out for the case, probably not the case of anyone in this room, maybe, but for the heretic hunters so that we don't get caught up on what we believe is Jesus giving us this great doctrinal dissertation 
though I think he makes some of the most incredible points through the midst of this conversation with this woman, that when he said we must worship him in spirit and truth, there's a group of people that would say, see, you have to worship. They would have something called normative worship practice, which means that we should only sing songs and not have music, and we should sing the hymns like Jesus was singing the hymns or something. I don't know, but we should have all of these things, and I, I, I do believe there's a biblical prescription that uh, if we will do it regularly and honestly and, authentic- and authentically, then the Father brings blessing on it. But uh, I can tell you that Jesus didn't have Paul's writings here when he was talking about spirit and truth. He wasn't talking about what's going to be written in in First Timothy or in First Corinthians. He wasn't talking about those things. He was talking about that you would be honest when you worship. You would worship in spirit and you would worship as yourself, not as a pretender. So let me get into this. Are you ready? So Jesus says, um, Jesus, we, we are learning today that, to respond. Jesus says to her, give me a drink. And she begins to list her built-up disqualifications one by one. The first one, he says, give me a drink. And she says, I'm a Samaritan. Aren't you a Jew? Don't you think that it's improper for us to, um, for me to give you some water? You don't normally ask me for that. Her first disqualification is politically and geographically. What she is saying to him is, I wasn't born in the right place for you to do the thing that you're inviting me into. Are you ready? I'm just going to speak this to us. If God says to us that all of Keysville is going to be saved and all and that from up and down the East Coast, and if we will pray and worship, and then he will teach us to be a people who can speak power and life into the lives of the people around us, then we have to confront our disqualifications. The first one for the woman, and it could be for us, is to say, look, it's not the best time. You know, we don't, there's not much going on here, and it's a difficult time in the economy and it's a difficult time and geographically I mean it's just Keysville God and what what are we saying we're saying just like the Samaritan woman I'm a Samaritan you're a Jew I don't think this is going to work out her first disqualification was geographically politically and history and historically there's no way that God could do it let me say this. When God says something, he intends to do it. He doesn't care about the history. He doesn't care about how bad this town is. He doesn't care about how religious the churches are. He doesn't care about how little it is. He doesn't care about who's leading it. He doesn't care about any of that. When God says it, God plans to do it. The first disqualification we are going to confront so we can respond with faith and get filled Full drinking what Jesus has for us is there's no hindrance geographically or politically. There's no hindrance because of our history. God is going to do what he says. The second disqualification that she lists is she says, sir, you have nothing to draw with and the well is too deep. He says to her, if you knew the gift of God, if you knew the gift of God and who it is that speaks to you, you would realize I'm not just talking to you about a drink. You'd realize that you can drink and I have what heaven holds ready to pour out on you. And she says, sir, you have nothing to draw with. And are you greater than our father Jacob who gave us this well and drank it for himself as well as his sons and his livestock? So what are the next two disqualifications? Why she, it's just a drink of water. Give him a drink of water, right? 
What are the next two qualifications, disqualifications? The next ones are this. The next ones are there's no natural way. There's only 14 people in the building, God. There's no natural way. Look, we've already been there. We've already tried. There's no natural way. You mean to tell me just praying, just worshiping is going to make us a people who can change the earth? There's no natural way, God. That there's no way to get from here to there. We should just go do what we know to do. Come on, we can go evangelize right now. We'll put together a team. There's no natural way. That's not the way you do this. Your arm isn't long enough to do that. But Isaiah said, is the arm of the Lord too short to save? Come on. He, she said, he said, there's no, she said, there's no natural way. It doesn't matter to me if there's 12 people. It doesn't matter to me if there's 20 people. It won't matter if there's 200 people because I feel in my belly something that is happening in the spirit and my response is going to be yes. And if we have to confront what that looks like to figure out how this many people do that much praying, it doesn't matter to me because God knows how we're going to do it. It doesn't matter to me. It doesn't matter if it doesn't look like there's a natural way. It doesn't matter if, it, you can't, if we can't figure it out. It doesn't matter if I don't know the steps. It doesn't matter if I don't have the ladle. God said it. He's going to do it. Oh, I wish you were with me this morning. She, not only does she say there's no natural way to do it, she said, Jacob already dug a well. Are you as good as him? And this is the one I really want to speak to this morning because I know who's holding the microphone. So I know it's easier to say there's probably a better man to do this job. Oh, come on, you're not with me. Because some of you have been in church long enough that you're disqualifying to what God says every time he says it is. I was in a better church with a better leader, with better prayer, with more structure, with more organization and more money, and we didn't get it done there. This has already been done, and I know you're not going to do it here because we already gave it a run one time way back when. Jacob already put his hand down in the well. Don't you know we did that back then, and it didn't work back then, and it was better this and better that and better that and better that and I've been there before God and I don't think I want to go back there and matter of fact if that's what you're saying I don't even think what you're saying is right but I'm here to tell you when God says it God will do it oh am I preaching this morning come on now okay the third disqualification the third disqualification, he says to her this, Jesus answered and said to her, whoever drinks of this water will never thirst again. Oh, no, 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 no. I'm not talking about that natural practical stuff that you're talking about with good leadership. I'm talking about something of the spirit. No, 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 I'm not talking about that thing that Jacob dug. I'm not talking about what you've been through. I'm not talking about what you're longing for because you experienced it 47 years ago. I'm not talking about that. I'm talking about something that will satisfy that thirst that's going on in you. You've had good church, but have you had a move of God? You've had, but have you had this? How can you tell if you've had, how can you tell if you're full, if you're satisfied, if you're dissatisfied, complaining and grumbling, if you feel like there's something missing, then it's not that there's anything missing, it's that you're not satisfied in the goodness of God, and the goodness of God is too good to not be satisfied in. The only thing between here and there is just respond when he says respond. 
The simplicity of the leadership of Jesus is that he lords us into the best things because he's good. She says, she sa he says to her, whoever drinks of this water will thirst again, but whoever drinks of the water that I shall give him will, ne will never thirst, will never thirst, will never thirst, will never thirst. I tell you that Amanda and I, when I the other I, I shared with you that a few weeks ago that I was pacing back and forth through the house, and I was thinking, oh God, I, I don't know what to say to this people, God, we to so that we can, so that we can do the things that you have called us to. I don't know what to say to them, so that we can, so that we can, so that we can, so that we can, so that we can. And I finally got to the point where I got so tired of hearing me, I knew that God was tired of hearing me because all it sounded like whining and complaining. And I finally asked myself, it's like God hit me with a brick and said, you sure do sound dissatisfied with being a part of my kingdom. And I thought, oh, my word. And I asked myself, Jesus, if you said that if I drink of you that I would never thirst again, then why am I so thirsty? And he said, drink deep. So I did. I gave him back his throne. I got off of it thinking I needed to tell him and everybody else what to do. And I decided that I was going to get off his throne, let him on his throne, and I was going to be satisfied. Because I don't want to live all of my life walking around acting like something's missing and Jesus isn't enough. I don't want to walk around all my life acting like if my kids behave better and my, and my wife was better and my house was better and my car was better and my life was better and, and my money was better and the cat didn't, I don't know. I'm just always on the cat, aren't I? I just, if you got a cat, get a dog. Um, the, 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 the dog, it, it, well, you got a dog that's the size of a cat. That's why. The, uh, but the, the, but, but I, I just got, I got, I finally realized I was walking around. There was nothing glorifying God in me because I was so dissatisfied. And so Amanda and I, we've been walking, we're in Walmart, and we walk up to the cash register, and we put 10 things, and it's $85, and we go, how are we going to live like this? And I, and I look at her, and I say, not thirsty. Not thirsty. And something else will come along, and they'll try to get our attention, and try to pull us in. There'll be an advertisement, you know, when you're doing that thing where you're bowing down to the apple over and over again, you know what I'm talking about? And then that thing is telling you what you need to think and believe and feel because you're so dissatisfied and it's just draining you even more and never fulfilling you and you're bound down to it and it tells you you need a new truck. And I go, man, I don't know, but I used to like driving my old raggedy truck, but now I, I was thankful for it because I didn't have no license and I didn't have no truck and I didn't have no way to get no license and I didn't have no way to get no truck. And when I didn't have no license and no way to get no truck, that looked like the prettiest truck anybody had ever given me. But once I had it for a few minutes, somebody tried to convince me that it wasn't enough truck to have. And so immediately somebody told me it wasn't enough. So what did I get? Thirsty. Dissatisfied. So I don't look, get in the truck, drive the truck, tailgate different colors, sounds like the brakes getting ready to fall off of I'm driving down the road, smiling with exhaust that I didn't even want that makes me sound like a redneck, and I'm going, I'm not thirsty. I'm not thirsty. Not thirsty. Because uh, I'm going, uh, Jesus, you are enough. You satisfy everything in me. I'd rather have you, Jesus. 
I'd rather have you than all of the world I'd rather have you. I would rather have you than silver and gold. Give me, Holy Ghost, I would rather have one second in your presence than four years in the White House. I'd rather have one moment in your glory than all the wealth that the world has to offer. I can live without anything, but I can't live without you. Hunger and thirst after righteousness, but I will not be thirsty for the things of the world. I will recognize when I'm not. And that's where they finally get to the point of what she's been saying all of the time as she has been throwing out all of this dialogue. You can't do it here. You can't do it because of this. It won't work because your arm isn't long enough. There's no natural way. You're, not, you're probably not even as good or as willing as the people who have come before you. This is not the right spot. This is not the right leadership. This is not the right time. This is not the right people. It's just not enough. It doesn't even look like it can happen. And then it finally gets down to the point of what's really going on. And it's not political. It's personal. Because she finally agrees, all right, I'll take it. And he says, all right, go get your husband. And I think that this is the most important thing that I can tell you today because there are people who have walked in this way and heard this kind of, and heard that he is more than enough and heard that he satisfies. And yet, what is it that keeps us in the back and forth of our water pot trying to fill ourselves and be fulfilled? Why do we run to people for affirmation and to the world for its approval and to money for our significance? And to why are we back and forth with our water pot? Why are we the people of God back and forth with the weight of it hanging over our head? Because the moment that we get to this point and he says, go get your husband, we read it like, go get your husband. Instead of realizing that he had finally got to the heart of the issue and he just wanted to talk about why she had never been fulfilled. If you read that, I've heard preachers all of my days say, for you have had five husbands, and the one whom you now have is not your husband, and that you spoke truly. And the woman said, and started talking about worship, and they said, ain't it funny how sinners want to talk about worship? Ain't it funny how sinners want to talk about doctrine and argue doctrine? Ain't it funny you can be in dysfunction and care so much about doctrine? And maybe there is some truth to that. But I can tell you that's not how I, the Jesus that I know speaks to me when he talks to me about the stuff that we need to talk about. I can tell you that. I can tell you that probably preaches good to get people into shame, but that's not the one that I've met. I can tell you the one that I know is the one, you see, if you can't get this one thing, then you'll never really engage with what it means to be, to respond to him and to allow him to satisfy everything in you if you don't get this one thing. We were in this place the other, um, the other day, there have been some, I think it was Wednesday, there are some, just been some incredible, powerful prayer meetings in this place this past few weeks, and, and I'm thankful for that. And we, we, on Wednesday night, we read 
Revelation chapter 1. And Revelation chapter number 1 says that John the, the revelator was in the heavenly realm and he saw Jesus. I'm closing, don't worry. Uh, he saw Jesus and Jesus had, had eyes like flames of fire, hair like wool. Girded about his chest is a golden sash, and he has a garment down to his feet, and his feet are like bronze, and his brilliance is so bright that it shines like the sun. This is Jesus in all of his beauty and all of his glory. If you go on to Revelation chapter number 4, it says he's surrounded by rainbows and thunders and lightnings, and he's seated on the throne, and here stands the most glory, the majesty, the glory of the one to whom all of creation bows down and worships, and all of of his splendor and majesty. This one is finally unveiled, the glorious one. Have you met him? The glorious one, the brilliant one, the only one. He is not one God among many gods. He is the only God. He is not one option among many options. There are not other creators. There is not other ways to find. There is not a universe to pray to. The universe was created by God. There's not another option. There's no one that sits his equal. There's no one on that has another throne. Only the only thrones that are in heaven are his and the 24 that he laid out that are beneath him. There is none like him. There's none. In all the heavens, in all the earth, there is no one as perfect as him. He is now revealed in John's eyes in the beauty of his splendor and of his brilliance. And what I can't get over when I'm reading that is this. Luke said in that meeting, he said, and can you imagine that Jesus was in heaven creating because he is the creator? He is the creator. Uh, nothing was made that was made apart from him that he is in heaven creating a body for himself in the heavenly to put himself in. Blow your mind right there, right? And I got to thinking, and when he did it, he didn't create the most beautiful. He didn't create the most powerful. He didn't create the strongest the most appealing. Isaiah said he has no beauty that we should desire him. The Son of Man came in such great, grand humility that in order to see the eyes that are filled with flames like fire, you have to see them through the eyes that cried tears over his friend Lazarus. In order to see the majesty and the brilliance of the one who will one day be the shining light of all of creation. When he comes back for his church, when he establishes the new heavens and the new earth, he is so brilliant. He'll be the only light that is left. And in order to see that hair that is like wool, you have to see it through the beard pulled from his face because he allowed them in his humility to do what seemed to be the most disgusting, indistinguishable, humble thing that anyone had ever been subjected to. I saw him in his humility, and I realized that the real Jesus, the real beauty of Jesus, is he could have been anything but he became the most beautiful and most powerful thing, the most humble thing. 
And it's from this place that we start to understand that there is nothing more powerful than one who is patient when he could destroy. He shows mercy and he teaches us what real power is. What real authority is, it is in meekness. And if you are interacting with another Jesus beside the one that made all of earth and gets down in the dirt with people caught in their sin, then you're interacting with a different Jesus of the Bible and you're not hearing what he's saying to the woman because he didn't bring the woman through all of her disqualifications to get her to the place where he could point out her sin. He brought her to the place where he could finally say, if I'm going to do it in you, it's got to be you, not who you've been pretending to be. It's not a character. I'm not talking to the who you're supposed to be. I'm talking to the who you are. It became personal to her. She felt like she had disqualified herself. And all she finds out is that when he said, I want to give you a drink that he already knew, I'm closing with this. Her response is the Jews and the in worship in Jerusalem and we worship on this mountain, so what about that? What she's asking is here, now. He says the Father is seeking those who will worship him, and he's seeking them. The hour is now. The hour is now. The hour is now. The Father is seeking such to worship him. Why well, start out a conversation about water and ask her to give him a glass of water if this has all been about what the Father is seeking. The Father is seeking such to worship him. And this begins in her, I don't know when it happened. It might have been when he said it is Messiah, Messiah. Something happened that made her put her water pot down. She says, "Is are you saying, that? But, but the day is coming, right? We have to go, do we have to go here? Do we have to go there? Her heart has been exposed. He said, I've known all along when I started speaking to you, I knew exactly who you were. And I think that she trembled through tears and was saying, here, now? Can you do it here, now? Is it, don't we need to go to Jerusalem? Isn't there some religious function to do this? What are we doing right now? And here, now? And he said, yes, the Father's been looking for a group of people. He's been looking for just somebody just like you. He's been seeking and finding someone just like you. And not only here and not only now, but you. And she says, she says back to him, um, the Messiah will tell us. In other words, when Jesus comes, I know what you're talking about will happen when Jesus comes. And he answers, I am here. I'm here. When's it going to happen? Jesus is already here to do it. And what comes out of this single encounter with one woman is she goes and tells an entire city and an explosion of evangelism where he says, the, the field is white with harvest. You say it's four months. I say it's right now. Go. This is what I want to tell you this morning. Anybody who's going to um, play something should probably come. 
five minutes ago. No, I'm just, no, it would have helped for the people. They were wishing it was five minutes ago too. The, um, we are not disqualified because this isn't the right place. We are not disqualified because we don't have the right leadership. We are not disqualified because we don't have the natural resources. We are not disqualified because we haven't been the best kind of people. We are not disqualified because he should do it somewhere else and probably at a different time and in a later date. And we are not disqualified because we're just going to have to sit tight and wait for Jesus to come back. We are not disqualified. We are, as a matter of fact, right poised in the position of a conversation that Jesus is having with us as a people. And he has countered and he has, in fact, put, he has, in fact, calculated all of our personal dysfunction and disqualification when he invited us in. And the only thing that he's asking us to do is respond. Respond. Respond with your heart over and over again. This one thing matters. You can, we can boil it all back down to this. Just respond. Respond to the voice of the Lord as he whispers to you. Hear his goodness. There are two things that, that are going to produce in us a lifestyle of prayer and worship. There are two things. One is the beauty of Jesus, which I described to you just a moment ago. And the second is our testimony. And I think, I think what God, what I, what I wish I could close with today, and I, I'll try, but I, I don't want to be long. But I just want to say this. Hasn't he always been faithful? Hasn't he always been more than enough? Hasn't he always been when there wasn't enough? Hasn't he always come through? Hasn't he? He never lets down, does he? When it looked like you couldn't make it through, you made it through. When it looked like we couldn't go any further, I, 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 I kept going. When it looked like I couldn't pick myself up out of the bed, he dragged me and got me up. When he lifted my head, he, he broke all my chains. He, he set me free. He, he was with me in the darkest hours. And when I, when I didn't think that I, could, that I could even go on, when I didn't see a way out, he was a light to me in the darkness. Oh, come on. Hasn't he always been good? I can't do it for you. You've got to decide for yourself. Come on, don't you have a... Can't, can't you remember now when you, when you think about him and think about how good he is? How could what he's saying to us now be difficult when you've watched him, what he's done in, in your family, when you've seen what he's done, in, 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 when, he, when you've seen what he's done with your life, when you know who you were, but you now see who you are and you don't know how that became that, but, but you couldn't see it at the time, but, but you know who, where you are now and you know who it was that was with you you all along oh come on somebody wasn't he there when you had tears at the dinner table wasn't he there when you sat in the dark wasn't he there didn't 
Wasn't he there when you didn't know where your next meal was coming from and somehow he showed up on the doorstep? I've got too many stories. He's been too faithful. My, my story, my history, my walk with him is enough for me to just begin to celebrate that he's not only going to do what he's always done, but he's never stopped doing what he's always been doing. My story tells me that God's right in the middle of my life. He's right in the middle of my story. And I'm right, I'm not at the end of a conversation and it's not just not too hard for him. It's just more of what he's always been doing. Now, I wish there was somebody in this place that you, had, that you had a testimony that you could say God's been good to me. When I, didn't, when I thought I'd lose my family, he, he, he gave me my family back. When I, when I thought that I was going to lose it all, when I, when I thought that I couldn't, and I wouldn't. When I thought I couldn't make it because what I thought I couldn't live without was gone, he was still God. Ain't nobody got that story? Well, come on, you ought to celebrate that story this morning. I think, I think what God wants us to do this morning, this is how we're going to respond today. The best way, the, the only way that I know the testimony of Jesus is the spirit of prophecy. Are you with me? I, because I know who he is, I know who he's going to be. Not only will he not fail, he can't fail. And I know he won't. So if, I, if you've got a testimony, I think we ought to celebrate this morning. I think God wants us to celebrate his story. That's what I think he wants us to do. He wants us to celebrate our history in him. So if there's anybody who knows whose God's been to him, would you just lift your hand to heaven? Come on. If, you, if he's been good to you, would you stand to your feet? If he's been faithful, if you can say, there was nobody that could have done what he did, but he did, would you just begin to worship him? If you know who he's been to you, I, I know you know who he's been told to you, but if you, know, if you know who he's been to you, then you've got a reason to praise this morning. And I'm, I'm telling you, this is going to be the gateway to breakthrough for us, is you're going to realize, I'm going to realize, we're going to be so authentic in this, and we are going to be, so we are going to come out of our disqualified arguments with God about what he wants to do. And we're just going to say, because of who you've always been, I don't know anything else you could do but be faithful. Oh, come on, somebody. Has he been faithful to anybody in this place? Has he been faithful? Has he been true? Is he good? Come on now. No, did he deliver you in Jesus' name? Come on, did he set you free? You ought to celebrate the goodness of God this morning. I'm not even worried about where we're going because where we're going is just more of where we've been. And he's been there every step of the way. So I'm just going to celebrate. God, I, I know who you are. And today I can say you've never failed. That's it. Isn't he good? Come on, let's tell him how good he is. Just relive your history with God this morning. And all my life you have been faithful. And all my life 
there's any worshipers, let's make an altar down here. Let's respond today. Let's respond to the promise of God with faith this morning. In Jesus' name. You say, why do I have to come down there? It's just a glass of water. Just respond. the goodness of God. I love your voice. And you have led me through the fire in darkest night. You are close like no goodness of God. And all my life you have been faithful. And all my life you have been so, so good. With I hear the Lord saying he's healing that self-help mentality. He's bringing you into a place of his goodness yeah. and his faithfulness. Where all you can say is he's been good. Oh, come on. Is there anybody It's in your heart? He's good. Oh, come on. He's good. You're good, God. Come on. Let's tell him he's good. Yes, I will the goodness of God.
If you've seen him, if you've seen what he's done in your family, would you lift your hand? If you've watched what he's done in your marriage, would you lift up a shout? <laughs> if you've seen, if you've seen what he can do with nothing and make something, would you just adore him for just a moment? Come on. If he's ever been anything to you, if you've seen his goodness, and you realize today that all, all of that arguing. All of that disqualifying, it doesn't stand a chance. Because you've, because we, we, he is faithful even when we are not faithful. His faithfulness is unending. You're going to never stop being who you are, God. 
And we're going to stop looking at us and start looking at you. (coughs) And all I know is this. When that woman finally saw him for who he really is, she put that water pot down. She didn't do no more of that back and forth. When she finally saw him for who he is, she, she was done with that back and forth. When she realized he's going to be faithful. And I may not get it all right. And he wasn't looking for somebody who had it all right. Because he already knew who I was when he started talking to me in the first place. But it was never about who I am. It's always been about who he is. So that his name would be glorified. And all I have to do is respond. That's it. You don't have to, come on, will somebody put the back and forth down of trying to figure it all out? Come on, put that water pot down. Put that heaviness on your head down. That trying to figure it out and trying to make it all happen. Just put it down today because you know who he is. Because you've heard the way he talks to you and you've seen who he's been to you. Just put that back and forth down today. You can just leave it here today in the goodness of God because he's, he's shown who he is. Come on, hasn't he shown you who he is? Believe him when he says so. Don't, don't believe anything else. If you believe him when he shows you who he is. Believe him when he shows you that he's been faithful. Believe him today. Take that water pot off before we leave out of this place today. Is there anybody today you'd lift, you'd say, I'm leaving my water pot here today. I'm leaving that heaviness and I'm going to leave it up to Jesus. I'm going to stop leading and I'm going to start following. I'm going to stop the back and forth and I'm going to just respond. Is there anybody here today you say, I'm leaving that water pot. Just lift your hand. I want to pray for you before you go. I'm leaving that back and forth, leaving that heaviness. I'm leaving that today. I'm just going to let you be good and let you be God. Keep your hand up. I'm going to do it today. Father, I thank you in Jesus' name that you love us so individually and uniquely and authentically that you wouldn't have made us to make us somebody else. That your display of your love over us is that we become more of us more of that thing that you love so deeply and dearly. And we say today, we're going to let it happen. And the depression and anxiety, that, that heaviness you've been carrying on your head, it is a, it, it's a, it's a, it's a emblem that says that you forgot who he is. But today, in his goodness, while you remember all he's been, as you put that down today, I pray over you that never again will you feel that weight because what you'll answer to it is, oh no, you know what you're doing, God. I'll trust you. I'm follower, not leader. I don't have to figure it out. So I pray of you in Jesus' name that not only does the water pot come down, the water pot breaks. I pray that the sound of worship, 
that the sound that will bring the Jericho walls down is the sound of these pots breaking today. The sound of the walls falling down on religion in this region is, a, is at the sound of your water pot breaking today. Hey! You didn't know you were that important. He is God. Come on. Ho! Hey! Hey! Listen to me, on the count of three, we're going to lift up a shout and we're going to break these water pots and Jericho walls are coming down. You ready? We're going to do it. Are you ready? Before you even think about it, just at his goodness. You ready? One, two, three. Yeah. Thank you, Lord. Oh, thank you, Lord. I felt that in Jesus' name. And we declare it in Jesus' name. We declare it in Jesus' name. We declare it. We say, I I, I speak to the community uh, apostolically. I, I speak this. Come and meet the one that told me all I ever did. Come and meet. Not come and learn about we say, to you, come and meet the one who told me all I ever did. If, you, if you're in this place and you, you sense that anointing, would you, just before we go, would you turn around and face out the other way? And we're going to pray before we go. We're going to pray. Come and meet the one who told us about our whole life and loved us anyway. Come and meet the one who knows us and loves us. Come and meet him. We say over this community, come and meet the one who knows all and loves anyway. The one who knows all and heals our brokenness. Come and meet in Jesus' name. In Jesus' name. And everyone said, Amen. Amen.